I want to congratulate all the seniors as well. Say that uh, we are so proud of you, so excited. Pastor Rick cannot be here today, but on behalf of him, I wanted to say that uh, we are so grateful that you, uh, that you have been a part of our, uh, our community. You've made our community better by your presence. Thank you for letting us to be a part of your lives. Um, at the left hand of every row there is a friendship folder. And if you on the left hand side will grab that folder, fill out your names and uh, any information that we might need and pass that down the row, we'd appreciate it very much. If you're a guest here, we just want to say we are so grateful that you have chosen to worship with us. If you're part of our church family, we want to say welcome to you as well. As you're doing that, I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the first epistle of John, 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to look at uh, just a few short verses, and while you're passing those and opening your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing, if you would. Would you stand as we read God's Word in honor of it today? This is 1 John chapter 5. Verses 9 through 13, and I will be reading out of the New Living Translation. Hear the word of the Lord. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about His Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God, and let us say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, uh, for the last 15 years of my life, I've been involved, or my professional life, I've been involved in youth ministry, and being Graduation Sunday, I want to congratulate our high school graduates, our college graduates. If you're graduating with a master's degree or a doctoral degree, congratulations to you. Those are important milestones and important tasks. But as I've been thinking about Graduation Sunday, I've been thinking about my years in youth ministry. I've been thinking about the stories that were told. I've been thinking about the number of students that I've known that have come through ministry, that have come through this church. I've been thinking about those students that said hello to Jesus for the very first time while they were here, and their lives were mystically, wonderfully transformed. And as I, I've also been praying for and thinking about those students who said goodbye. But on this graduation Sunday, where we honor you specifically, high school graduating seniors, what I was thinking about most of all were the things that parents say have said to you that you're not going to hear very much more after this. You're not going to hear these things very much longer. At least I hope so. So these, I, I was just collecting some of these sayings. These are sayings that I've said as a parent or, or I've heard other parents say that you may not hear any longer, okay? One of them is this, the mother who puts her hand out for the child. So I spit that into my hand. The uh, wipe your hands on the napkin, not on your sleeve. Did you ever hear that one before? The uh, don't eat ketchup with a spoon. 
Don't lick the bottom of your shoe. I have actually heard that one. Don't run in the house. Don't play ball in the house. Don't use the saw in the house. Don't light the sparklers in the house. Don't shoot your dog with the BB gun in the house. Don't pick on your sister. Leave your brother alone. Be a leader, not a follower. Mind your P's and Q's. You'll poke somebody's eye out. That was my dad's famous one. And my favorite, because I said so. You're free. You don't have to hear these things anymore. Use the saw in your own apartment, in your own house. John, uh, John the epistle writer, refers to himself several times in these letters as, he, he refers to himself as the elder or the apostle. But what he really does is he takes on the posture of a parent. He too, like your moms and your dads and your grandparents, he says certain things over and over and over again throughout his letters. You hear things like this, God is love, love one another, greater love has no one than this, walk in the light as he is in the light, they will know that you belong to him because of your love for one another. He says this one great line, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just. And he will forgive you of your sins and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He says this, be aware, test the spirits. He says, whoever does not love does not know him. And then he's got these two things that seem to come up over and over and over again. These two really important things. The first one is this, remember, we have heard the things of Jesus. We have seen him and we have touched them. And then this theme seems to be said, it keeps coming up over and over again, not just in this letters, but in all of Johannine literature, or all of the literature, all of the, all of the writings that belong to John and or his community. Eternal life, he says, is given to us by God through his son, Jesus, the Christ. Now, I want to pause for a minute if I could, and I want to ask you for a moment, what is he talking about? What is John referring to when he says all of these things, especially these last two points? What does he actually mean? What is this, what is this eternal life? When you read through John, it really doesn't seem like a letter. We call it an epistle, but it doesn't seem like a letter at all. It's kind of like a beautifully crafted, well thought out, very heartfelt note that comes from a father to his children. And this, do, this note doesn't come from a place of nagging, but it does, like the, spirit, like the speeches that your parents gave you, it does come from a place of concern. He gives heeds and he gives warnings and, he, and you know that after you read these letters he's concerned about and he has care for his children. He, and the reason that he is concerned is because he has a lot to be concerned about. See, there was this group of people that John had to deal with. It, this group of people was kind of like that kid in your neighborhood and every neighborhood has one of these kids. It's these, one of these kids that is always trying to get you to do bad things. 
look at this, sip that, smoke this. I mean, it was one of, this group of people is one of those kinds of kids. Come here, I've got something sneaky to tell you. This group, though, wasn't just a single kid. It was a radical group of people. It was a Christianized group of people that created some kind of strong reaction, as you can imagine, in John, when they began to deny the histor- that the historical Jesus of Nazareth was actually the Christ. And as such, while they affirmed the deity of Christ, they began to deny the fact that Jesus, the Christ was fully human. This group, uh, who were once insiders in John's community, they were once his children. Well, they were successionists, and they were dangerous because they were kind of a a guerrilla warfare type group. They would attack with just enough of the truth that what they said might be believable, but when all was said and done, the innocents realized that they had been deceived, and they'd been shot to death with lies. Remember this one? that your mom would say. Remember your mom said this, that sometimes the most dangerous lies are the ones with just a little bit of truth in them. This group and their ideas were deeply rooted in Greek philosophy and and in a heretical thought uh, called Gnosticism. We, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, or how we, where we get our word knowledge. It's of the mind. And they began to argue that the Christ merely seemed to be human, or that maybe perhaps he was only human for a short period of time. They said that in his baptism, the person of Jesus, the historical man named Jesus, was somehow anointed or gifted with the spirit of the Christ. However, that spirit of the Christ that anointed him at his baptism left him then at his crucifixion. In other words, Jesus had been somehow, they said, empowered by the Christ. He was put into some kind of a a trance, some kind of a robotic, droid-like state. So Jesus, they affirm, suffered and died, but the Christ, on the other hand, actually avoided such an experience. So to, to really understand this, okay, let me take you back, if I could, to your Philosophy 101 class. I don't know if you took that in high school. Did you have to take it in high school? Oh, it's going to be wonderful next year. Or you get to take it in college. Um, But here's the things that you'll learn, okay? You will learn that the Greeks understood that the body and the spirit were two different things. They were totally separate. They were disconnected. They didn't come together at all. You had the body, which is physical, and everybody has a body. And the idea was that this body actually housed the soul of a person... And then you had the soul or a spirit of a person. And the soul or the spirit of a person was that which was right and that which was true and that which was good in that person. Now the body, this thing that we have on, and everything else in the physical world, according to this group, was seen as inherently evil because it felt pain. And not only did it feel pain, it actually can cause pain. So... That chair, this pulpit, the microphones, uh, those seats that you sit in, those books that you read out of, those hymnals that you may even sing from, this building itself 
We're all considered of the physical world and therefore we're all considered evil. But the soul or the spirit of a person or the spiritual realm, which would include souls and spirits, the gods, the heavens, the cosmos itself. Well, that, that was what was right and that what was true and those things were the things that were good. And so have I put you to sleep yet? I mean, I might be putting you to sleep because I'm sure you're thinking, what's with all of this? I mean, why do we have to reach into 2,000 years of history to talk about some weird group a long time ago that seemed to deny the historical Jesus was actually the Christ? What a bunch of ancient mumbo-jumbo. However, I do not think that this is a bunch of ancient mumbo-jumbo. I think it's a bunch of modern-day mumbo-jumbo. And I'll tell you why. We have, from time to time, the ability, if we're not careful, to live as Gnostics today. Uh, Greek philo philosophy, if, if we're not careful, cannot just be philosophy, but it actually can turn into our theology. It can actually impact the way in which we interpret the activity of God in the world. And not only that, it can impact the way in which we respond to that activity. Our whole framework for understanding the identity of Jesus and what he did is destroyed if we're not very, very, very careful. You and I also, like the Gnostics and like the Greeks, we talk about the differences between bodies and souls or bodies and spirits as if somehow they are disconnected from one another. Have you ever heard this one, this saying? Have you ever heard somebody say this? Maybe it was an adult to a young child or a parent to a kid. Do what I say and not what I do. At the very heart of this statement is the idea that that which is physical, events, actions, activities, are different than that which is of a different kind of realm, the intent. We have a difficult time connecting our bodily life with our spiritual life. On one hand, let's just say we're going to talk about and think critically about the church or our theology of salvation for a little bit. On the one hand, when we talk about our salvation or our theology of salvation, we speak about the eternal. We speak about salvation in light of simply going to heaven, the other world. We, we proclaim the Lordship of Christ and we call people to believe so that they might have eternal life. But when we boil it down, what we have is we're just trying to create a convincing proof, urging people to make a cognitive decision about faith. Cognitive, of the mind, gnosis, knowledge. We're not meaning to, but if we're not careful, and we need to think critically about this, we can imply that the good really only happens or is only a reality when we get to heaven. Now, we have this thing, this theology of end times. We call it eschatology. It is a way in which we think about the end. It's a way in which we think about the second coming of Christ.
And we do affirm together that in the end, all things will be made right and God is restoring all things. And we believe that God goes about the business of making all things new. John the Revelator, in his book of Revelation, where Jesus reveals himself to John, affirms that God is about the renewal and the restoration of all things. But you will notice that what John talks about is the renewal and restoration of all things includes the heavens. There will be new heavens and there will be new earth, the physical and the spiritual. So from time to time, what we can do is because we recognize that we are sinners and that we have sin and that we have suffering and that we have pain, we can see this world and the things in it can be difficult to handle. And it immediately makes us jump to the idea that good is far away while this is evil. Sure, we long for the day when everything will be made right because this present and evil age is simply that. Sometimes it's just too present And sometimes it's just too evil. But again, if we're not careful, because of our longing for that which is in our future, we forget that this world and all that was in it in the beginning was named good. It's on the one hand. On the other hand, we have this. We recognize that the body which can cause pain and can feel pain We recognize that this is our reality from time to time. And so in order to combat this, what we are tempted to do is we're tempted to lie to ourselves. And we're tempted to convince ourselves that our activities or our actions have nothing to do with our spiritual lives. This is why somebody can say, I know that I'm good, but their actions or their activities do not. They don't match up with what their words say. Their actions or their activities tell a far different story. However, what we have in this and what we have in John's letter is this idea. The ancient Jewish understanding of body and soul is this, that body and soul are whole. In other words, body and soul are not differentiated. They don't They're not separated, but rather they're intertwined. They go together. They're mingled. They are one. Body and spirit and soul all together as one is what makes a person whole. It's what makes a quote-unquote person. And the gospel of John indicates that as the body and the soul are one, lowercase o, so the Father and the Son are one, capital O. Jesus prayed a prayer about that in John chapter 17. But we see it in the beginning of his gospel, right from the beginning in the prologue. If all of your Bibles burned up and you only had the first 18 verses of the gospel of John, you would know exactly what John is talking about. And he starts it in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without, not, without him no, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. In his gospel, 
John is speaking to the reality that the Word is the full expression of God in the world. John goes to great lengths to demonstrate this one point in his gospel, that Jesus is God. And the Gnostics, they don't have problems with this. However, what distinguishes Christianity from any other religion is this one idea, that God is intentional in revealing God's self to the world, and he chooses to do so in person. In other words, God is in a body. Now, the Gnostics had serious problems with this because their view demonstrated that we have to wait for that which is good, wait for that which is true, wait for that which is right. So, in, so John in 1 John says, so if you can believe in human testimony, and surely you can believe in that, surely if you can do that, then you can believe in the great, even greater testimony that comes from God. That eternal life is given to you through Jesus Christ, who is God, the Spirit, the cosmos, the Logos. But at the same time, at the very same time, He is the revelation of God in person. He is the embodiment of that which is good, that which is true, and that which is right. Karl Barth, who may be the greatest theologian of the 20th century, argued that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus who is the Christ, was actually the true human. In other words, Jesus is not only human. He is the only one who has ever been fully human. You and I and our parents and our grandparents before us, our ancestors, even those who have had words of wisdom, have never been in our sin or in our brokenness or in our pain actual whole persons. We've been simply broken down images, shadows of that which was intended to be. But Jesus, the Christ, however, is totally different. He is the demonstration of what it means to be fully and truly whole, fully and truly human, fully and truly person. And what does it mean to be fully and truly whole, fully and truly human, fully and truly person? Well, it means to be fully and truly alive, to know and experience eternal life. It means that we have this opportunity through Christ, the one who is God in person, to experience life here right now in its fullness. It's abundant life, says John. It's a saving life that comes in him, says John. It's eternal life, says John. And it begins here. And while John in his gospel shows us that Jesus is the revelation and embodiment of God to the world, 1 John in his epistle shows us that God testifies to the fact that life is for all of us and it comes in the one who is truly human. Jesus wasn't anointed by some Christ spirit at his baptism, which then left him out of, at his crucifixion. I mean, what kind of God is that? Jesus was the God-man who took on the cross on behalf of humanity to fully restore humanity and all of the world 
even that which is physical, back to God. And in such, he experienced a bodily death and then a bodily resurrection. And in that great event that was physical, he began the work of setting the world and all that is in it right. Now, he did so in the present, and he is doing that currently. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a young protege of Karl Barth and uh, really a personal hero of mine, said something that has captured me in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. And for nearly two years, I've been working through this, this idea that Bonhoeffer, uh, that Bonhoeffer talks about. According to Bonhoeffer, the kingdom of God, that which is spiritual, that which is otherworldly, that which is of a different realm, well, the kingdom of God, says Bonhoeffer, explodes in the ordinary. Think of, the, think of, think of this for a moment, and the, and the implication, if this is true, that the kingdom, that which is spiritual, otherworldly, of a different realm, explodes in the ordinary, it explodes in the here and the now. Think of the implications of this. After all, we know this. Jesus himself had a job. He cut his toenails. He paid the bills. He had to take a bath. And his stories about the kingdom were connected always, always, always to the physical world. He said, in the kingdom, you'll find things like seeds, valleys, mountains, pearls, farms, cities, women, children, coins, and rebellious sons. You'll find water, sunflowers, wood, tools, bread, paths, streets, gardens, neighbors, the disadvantaged, the sick, the bleeding, the dying. You'll find the marginalized, the poor, and the rich. You'll find widows, fathers, and those who are being brought back to life. You'll find swine, sheep, gates, shepherds, the deaf, the blind, the dumb, and the broken. And the kingdom, because of Jesus, who is both fully God and fully human, restores and makes good that which is not so good. And he does this work to restore it back into its original and intended purpose. And you and I, let's admit it for a second, we have experienced this and we know this. We have experienced eternal life from time to time. You and I have experienced abundant life, life in the now through the work of God by the way of the resurrected Christ. The ancient fathers of the church said that there are, there are from time to time these, these thin places in the world. It's these, these times where we experience these thin places where it would seem that heaven and earth would come together and they would be touching. They could almost kiss. So uh, last year, my wife, on her birthday, she asked me to buy her some season tickets to the Civic Center. We went to see a musical together, and when I came home, my daughter Annabelle said to me, Dad, how was it? I searched for words. I could not find words for the experience that I had. And so I just said to her, Annabelle, the music made my ears smile. I remember my first date with Holly. I remember being together, and there was something happened on that date where I remember thinking, this is otherworldly. This is really good. 
I was with her and we were together in this. And I remember on our date thinking, I would rather be here than anywhere else on the planet. Some realize that uh, they're living in this kingdom, in this new, abundant, eternal life, which starts in the now by way of Jesus while they're, oh, they're hiking or they're riding their bicycles. Some find it while they're dancing, some through art or singing, some through writing poetry or reading, some through changing diapers or rocking babies. Some find it drinking coffee. Some find it in a deep connection to a place on a boat, at the end of a dock. Some notice it in the morning when all is quiet, some in the evening as they reflect on the day. It's this Christ, the resurrected Christ in body, who is connecting us to God and connecting us to the experience and connecting us to one another and connecting us to that which He has made good and true and right. And this is because... By God's testimony, as He extends eternal life by way of the Son, we experience eternal life with good friends and celebrations. And you can always guarantee there is lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of laughter. And always, always, it is centered, rooted, it is found in love. Did you hear what John said over and over and over? He said to the people who he was writing to, we have, we have heard of the things of Jesus with our ears. We have seen them with our eyes. And we have touched them with our hands. Heaven, earth, colliding, thin places coming together. Because we know that he is the true God who is also truly, fully human. I want you to hear these good words from John. He says this in verse 13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now you can know that you have life that lasts forever. Let me pray for you if I could. We find ourselves in a place where we live in this dark and present evil age, where we hope and we long for that which is otherworldly, and we live into that reality but what we have in the person of Jesus who reveals God to the world and what we have in this God who demonstrates his love for us in this, that he points us to Jesus who is fully God, fully human, so that we can begin life in the now. What we see is that this God crashes into our world in person. God, I think about these seniors. I think about the people who are part of this community. And I ask by your good spirit that you would help us, and to, help us to know and to fully live into the reality 
that eternal life comes by way of Jesus who is testified to by God and that our living can begin right now. This is our prayer and our prayer together. This idea of bodies and souls coming together and God in the person of Jesus doing this good work of extending eternal life is not just found in John's literature. 
we read it in the Shema, which is an ancient passage in Deuteronomy that Jewish people would say all the time. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This spiritual realm and the bodily realm, the physical realm coming together. Jesus added to that, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. This is the way in which the kingdom looks, that which is out there colliding with how we do regular life. This is not limited to John. And Paul said this, and I say this to you, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, purify you through and through. And may your whole body, soul, and spirit be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has called you is faithful and he will do it. Thanks be to God. Go in peace. You are dismissed.